And oh. and and threat of death. If you call me Pat or Patty, I'll kill you. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of UFT Medicine Faculty After Hours um, podcast. We're so excited to have you join us today, as we have a very special guest with us. Um, who's at the very reins of the medical program here at UFT. We'll be talking a little bit about her role in the department and the faculty, her interests inside and outside of medicine, as well as some spicy relationship advice for you at, towards the end of the uh, podcast. So hopefully you'll stick around. So gather around with your warm cup of tea or coffee and enjoy a piping hot episode of the Faculty After Hours podcast. Awesome. And just a little background about our guest is none other than Dr. Patricia Houston, the Vice Dean of our program. Uh, before taking on this role in 2016, she graduated from the MD program and completed a master's in education at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. And she served a number of leadership roles, both at U of T and St. Mike's. Um, she's part of the Department of Anesthesia uh, since 1984 and was appointed a full professor in 2006. Uh, throughout her career, she's received numerous teaching and leadership awards. Uh, she's a very active member of international and national organizations and associations, including the Canadian Anesthesiologist Society. And she's the president of that from 2012 to 2014. So very happy to have you as our first guest, Dr. Houston. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Hey, thank you very much. So quick intro, my name is Nader Chai, I'm Vivian Student First Senior. I'm Dilshan, I'm VP Education Senior. And I'm Kenny, I'm the speaker for MedSoc. So Dr. Housen, we're going to be starting off with some rapid fire questions. Um, first, coffee or tea? Coffee. Starbucks or Tim Hortons? Starbucks. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite color to wear? Black. Black. Uh, nickname your parents used to call you as a child. Well, they called me Trisha. They uh, said a Patricia. Okay. And is that, is there, I'm assuming that name's still around or is it just? Yeah, that's down? what my family and my close friends still call me. Okay. And, oh. and, and threat of death. If you call me Pat or Patty, I'll kill you. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Good uh, to know. Here first. <laughs> well, we have that moving forward. Um, who is your role model? Who is my role model? Um, so, uh, uh, for anesthesiology, it was a woman named Sally Teasdale. She was the chief of anesthesia at uh, Toronto General Hospital back when I was a resident and a fellow in cardiac anesthesia. And uh, she had both a career and a family and a great sense of humor and was an, uh, an exemplary uh, physician and also a great leader. So that was my, my clinical role model. And for an academic role model, it was actually also an anesthesiologist uh, named Ron Crago who, who retired a few years ago. And what he taught me was that uh, what you have to do no matter what educational role you're in is put the, the, just like you put the patient at the center of care, you've got to put the learner at the center of the education you're creating and make sure you always listen to their voice and try and understand their perspective. Well, those sounds like really great role models. 
Um, so moving from that to something a bit different, uh, what would you put on your bucket list? Uh, so on my bucket list would be, uh, I have been helicopter skiing, uh, but I would like to go snowcat skiing someday. Uh, I've never done that. And uh, also, so cool. on, yeah, that's a good one. And also on my bucket list, um, I think would be that I get to be, I can still water ski on my slalom ski. I just bought a new one last year uh, until I can no longer walk. Uh, wow. Team here with the skiing, different yeah. different types of skiing. But what's a, a water cat or a snow cat? So, so if you go helicopter skiing, you go in a helicopter up to the top of a mountain. So I did that uh, a few years ago outside of Panorama in BC, and it was fantastic because the skiing is absolutely wonderful. But I hated the helicopter, like terrified, like I just wanted to oh. die. Just let me yeah. jump. Out. <laughs> so the alternative is that you go in a snowcat, so you stay on the ground. They take you yeah. up the, to the top of a powder field, and you go down from there. Okay. That's and how many like trips would you get from that? Because I, I imagine you go down and it's like a good like half an hour ski down and then yeah. get back in the helicopter and go up or put. Yeah. So for heli skiing, um, I did four runs and then uh, the weather got a bit worse. I was I did it with uh, my husband and uh, two of my kids, my younger daughter and my son. Um, and my son and my husband uh, went for the fifth fifth round. So you could like do five runs basically in one okay. day. Oh, wow. That sounds so fun. But you have That's to, every time you go, right? Every time you go up, you have to get out of the helicopter while the thing's still going around. And then you got to get back into the helicopter with it going around to get back up. Ooh. So that was the part, and, he, and being in the helicopter. I hated the helicopter. There was nothing okay. good about the helicopter. Yeah, that, that sounds like scary for me to like, uh, I think skiing <laughs> in general just scares me. hundred <laughs> percent. I would never expect that Dr. Housen. Um, Especially when there's the helicopter component in it, like normal skiing, I'm fine. But I think throwing in the helicopter and going up on a mountain. Is... Well, they loved it. It was the best day. My son has this picture that he cherishes with him in front of the helicopter. Best day of his life. For me, it's like, oh my God, get me off this mountain. <laughs> now, moving from that, uh, what would your favorite hobby be? Mm, my favorite hobby is probably reading, but then secondary to that is, is uh, working out. And so uh, during and running, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we have a very athletic family. Uh, and during COVID, stopped being able to go to the gym like everybody else. I had to figure out what to do. And, uh, um, you know, like you can only run so much or walk so much. So found this uh, fitness person from Miami, Florida named Rachel. That again, my daughter uh, that does a daily uh, broadcast of a workout and started doing that sometimes with my daughter and sometimes on myself and I actually think I'm probably a bit fitter than I was a year ago because it's one of the things to like escape from the day-long zoom so you really mm -hmm. make yourself sure mm -hmm. and I'm a uh, good cook love to cook oh what's your favorite dish? what's my favorite dish my favorite food ever is spaghetti so I love uh, I love uh, experimenting uh, with different sauces, with different types of uh, pasta sauces. Mm -hmm. I'm not a baker though. I love to cook. I hate to bake. Baking, yeah, you have I to bake. measure, follow the recipe. It's far too constraining. You cannot be creative. Mm -hmm. True. I feel like with cooking, you can change the recipe as you go a lot more. Like, yeah, mm, this needs yeah, a bit more just, salt, you know, a bit more garlic. Right, exactly. Yeah. More yeah. creative liberty. Yeah, Correct. I like the creative aspect to it. Talking or texting? Oh, tough one. 
I like to do both at the same time. Multitasking. <laughs> talking. I've got to say talking. Do you ever find that if you're talking and someone says something to you, you accidentally text the thing that they're saying to you? That happens to me all the time. I have done that. Sometimes yeah. to not good effect. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did we hear the yeah, story just... that or, or we just decide to skip it? No, no, I'm not telling you the story. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. You need the after after hours for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, is double dipping ever okay at a party? Never. Never. Especially Never. during COVID. Never. <laughs> to be partying. Unhygienic. Um, what is one skill you'd like to learn? One skill I'd like to learn? Hmm. I'd like to learn to be a good bridge player. Okay. I don't even know how to play. Pardon me? I don't, I don't even know how to play uh, bridge. Yeah, I can play bridge, but you know, there's, it takes, you have to really, uh, you have to practice and probably get some coaching and uh, keep doing it uh, to become a better bridge player. And so I'd, uh, my parents were both fantastic bridge players and I'd like to become a better bridge player. Yeah, bridge was always and big. It's really good for your mind, right? Bridges, you got to, you, 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 it's about being strategic. It's about communicating with your partner. It's about uh, being able to count and being able to sort out what kind of a player you're playing against and, and are mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, are, are they uh, a defensive or offensive player? There's a lot of good things about bridge. And Omar Sharif was a wonderful bridge player and I like the way that he looked in Dr. Shivago. So that's all good too. <laughs> oh. Okay, we have to try that out. Maybe start a club, Medsoc club on that. <laughs> you should have a Medsoc bridge club. It used to, I used to play bridge when I was uh, in high school, the last year of high school. I probably played bridge as many minutes during the day as I went to class. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, what goes for cereal or milk? Big one. Cereal. That's agreed. Fully agree. Um, describe yourself in three words. In how many words? Three words. Three words, energetic, determined, and fierce. Those are good words. I like it. For sure. And then name of a drug that you always have a tough time pronouncing. Dexamethamidine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds Fair like you enough. did a great job there though. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> I, I practiced it. I gave a talk on it once and I had to practice it in front of the mirror. It was sort of like supercalifragilistic. Expialidocious. <laughs> Dexamethamidine. What is it used for? It is a sedating, so it's a drug you can give either by bolus or by continuous infusion. Mm -hmm. And it is used to sedate patients. It doesn't cause as much hypotension as some other um, anesthetic agents. And uh, you can extubate somebody on this because they maintain their um, ability to maintain their airway and their respiratory function. Okay, interesting. I feel like we'll learn that one day, hopefully. Yeah, I feel it, like we're ready for anesthesia rounds. All right, there you go. River Roxaban is another one, which is one of the newer anticoagulants. So it took me a long time to get my head around that one. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, a clinical examination that you learned in school that you never used in practice? Um, uh, looking at pe in people's eyes at their, you know. <laughs> I haven't taken out an ophthalmoscope since I, gra since I graduated. Okay. <laughs> Um, and the last one, uh, toughest medical pre procedure you've ever performed? CPR when I was nine months pregnant. That oh, <laughs> wow. You're yes. not supposed How? to do 
there was no one else around. Yeah, I was gonna ask. There, like, there was no one around, so you had to do Nobody it. Nobody there had to do it. Wow. I was on call in the uh, for the CCU and uh, patient arrested. And you know, had to do it. Wow, I guess that speaks to your your determination to go back to the words. <laughs> Fierce for sure. It's it's. Uh... I don't know how I you think. Uh, what was your thought after that? Um, what was my thought after that? My thought, my thought was, I was happy I did it. It was uh, difficult, uh, and um, and I would do the same thing again. Mm-hmm. We got to make it. Dis- There's actually one more rapid fire question. I take hey. one, uh, and I would argue the most important. Dog or cats? Dog. Mm. Do you have a dog? We had a family dog for years and years. We broke all of our hearts when she uh, finally passed. Oh, sorry and, to hear that. Um, she used to uh, when I would when I would come home from doing uh, being up all night and doing overnight calls. She used to lie down on the floor beside my bed. Oh. When I and by the time she passed, um, the kids had all moved out. So it was just my husband and I left at home. So we decided not to get another dog. I don't know. My husband might get a dog once he retired. Like, like we might get a dog. He, we might have a dog again. He's probably going to retire in the next year or so. Um, but you know, that's really tough. It's really a member of the family, right? Yeah. Uh Yeah. My family dog passed away during COVID right now. So I definitely can feel where you're going through. So it was rough. Yeah. That was Um, hard too. It's like, yeah. A lot of people are getting dogs during COVID. So it's yeah, awesome. everyone was getting puppies. Yeah, Doshan just got a, adopted a puppy. So. Yeah, he's got a puppy very recently. Did you? August. Yeah, late August. Well, dogs are unconditional love all the time. That's the thing, yeah. It's so good. Uh, what breed was she? She was a mutt. So okay, she was uh, part husky. It's an interesting story. She was part, hu- part husky, part golden lab. Um, my my oldest daughter uh, came to uh, came to dinner one Friday night to say, "Mom, I think we should get a dog." And at that point, my son was probably around uh, nine years old because there's uh, yeah about nine years old. There's a big big age difference between the two of them. And I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. You guys are gone. The two older girls are gone. It would be good for Joey to have a a dog at home. She said, you know, I've got a friend who's got three dogs and they're just having a baby. Maybe, you know, we had, could take one of their dogs. And the next day we had a dog. <laughs> well, that's wow. I love that. That's so fast. <laughs> I remember having to spend weeks on weeks, like came up with a PowerPoint presentation and everything trying to convince my parents to get a dog. Uh, we, got a, we got a little pug called Winston because I loved Winston Churchill at the time. Um, but then I misspelled his name. <laughs> um, certificate. So there was. Did you misspell it, Kenny? It, like Winston is with an I, right? So I. Right. When I was younger, I would always say like I had a bit, bit of a speech impediment, so I would say like Winston. So I spelled <laughs> with an O, and then I was like, oh no! When I grew up, like got older, I was like, oh no! What did I do? <laughs> you, gave, you gave the dog a very you know individual name. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. We did this. My little sister did the same thing with the PowerPoint, trying to convince my my parents to get a dog and you know these presentations must have been really good because they worked right i love that did you get yeah i have a a mix as well she's a saint berdoodle oh that's cute see my house a bit different sorry just want to cut you off but it's like 
Um, it's my mom's really scared, like morbidly scared of dogs, and, and her general trend is like, if you want a dog, it's either me or the dog in the house. So oh, um, okay. <laughs> the trade-off doesn't work. So we usually <laughs> small pets, birds, and, and uh, generally birds and fish. Yeah, so that's part of the reason why I think it's important to have a dog. Um, you know, I, I have nothing against cats, but I prefer dogs because lots of kids and people are afraid of dogs. But if you, you know, our, our middle daughter was afraid of dogs, but after we had our dog, she became a dog lover. Yeah, you just need exposure. Mm. Yeah, I I noticed that really quickly too. Like the the unconditional love we were talking about. Like they don't they don't know anything about you. Like they just like love you and know when you're you're feeling some, mm-hmm. a yeah. certain way and they come comfort you. So moving away from this dog and all the the conversation that I love, we're going to move into more tailored questions. Um, okay. So. If you will, can you describe your role? I know we gave a bit of an intro, but can you describe your day-to-day and like what your focuses are within the faculty? And um, after that, uh, what the best and toughest aspects of your job are, either in the clinic or within the faculty as an administrator? Okay, so um, my job recently changed. Um, so uh, as of July 1st, I'm the Vice Dean Medical Education. And uh, really that is an opportunity to look at uh, how can we better integrate, uh, align, uh, develop more capacity and really focus on learning as a continuum uh, across MD, post-grad and into when you are a practicing clinician. And for sure my my initial uh, um, priorities will be around the alignment and integration and, and better transitioning and communication and collaboration between the MD program and the postgraduate program. It's sort of been, and it's true at all of the universities, like there's undergraduate and there's postgraduate and they don't talk to each other too much. Well, postgraduate should be helping us to better understand what they want when they're looking for an applicant to their programs and how to best help you as learners prepare yourselves to get ready for that. And also um, for them to to help with that decision-making so that it's not so much that when you go on your electives that you're auditioning for those programs, but more that those programs are also helping you to, you know, to to round out your education and also have a better understanding of what that career is going to be because, you know, once you commit to it, it's, there's not much turning back. Um, And also that, that our, our, our approaches, our policies and our processes for things like mistreatment, for uh, accommodations, for around professional values, around student assessment, around assessment of teachers, that should be a continuum as well. And they should be all um, fairly consistent. So the way you assess the teachers in the clinical environment, we just changed this year. So it doesn't matter if you are a, a medical student, a resident or a fellow, if you are having a teacher interaction with a clinician in the clinical environment, same evaluation forms so we can collate them and give the clinician a better idea of of what their teaching performance is across the continuum of learners and same thing when we're assessing learners whether you're a medical student a junior resident a senior resident or a fellow that we have similar expectations and it's it's a competency framework that again is continuous from because you're all learning to be competent doctors yes you go into specialties but there's some core competencies that we all have to have so we should be using the the same way to teach them the same way to assess them and the same way to give you feedback about how you need to get better or how you're actually outstanding so it's really a great opportunity and then and then i will you know get into the cpd world of course part of the reason i'm focused on md and postgrad right now is because as you all know 
MD programs being accredited first week in November, postgrads being accredited the last two weeks in November. So a lot of work to do around accreditation right now. But I want to go back to the uh, the vice dean of the MD program, which is what I was for four years from the 1st of July 2016 till 2020. And that really has been the best job I've ever had. I didn't come to it all that willingly. I was happy in my job as vice president of education at St. Michael's Hospital. I had a really high functioning team there. Uh, we had a, a, a you know, a great uh, opportunity to have education for everybody in the hospital. <laughs> but the Dean pursued me and um, eventually I went, yeah, how could I not do this? And it's just been fantastic because again, it was an opportunity to really look at as we introduced the foundations curriculum, uh, what could we do to make both the educational programs and the learning environment uh, much more learner centered and integrated in a continuum because um, medical programs uh, uh, everywhere that are two and two programs tend to be two years of preclinical, two years of clinical, and there's not much talking to the, each other. Like they're sort of like two different worlds. Well, it is an opportunity to weave the components and themes across the four years. And we're not there yet. We still got a lot of work to do, but really look at how do we make this a continuous learning experience? And we've had a real, real step back this year, you know, it, it's in that we aren't able to get first and year students out into the clinical environments because of the restrictions due to COVID. But really one of the, the most important parts of the foundations was the real emphasis on you having time as students to go out and, and uh, not be observers, but, but actually start to partake in those experiences in the clinical world. Does that it answer your question? Like, yes, no, absolutely. And it's awesome that you gave us some examples. You've definitely done a lot. And I think we can all thank you for like making sure that it's more integrated is the big thing that I gathered from your answer. You want to make sure there's communication and integration across different programs, which makes total sense when you're looking at it, but I'm sure it's very difficult to implement. Um, so going into that sense, um, you told us a lot about the best aspects of your current role and your past role, but what is the like toughest or most difficult aspect of both the working within the faculty to make these changes, as well as um, maybe we'll just focus on that and I can ask you the second one so I don't uh, double okay. the questions. So it is hard work because a lot of this is culture change um, and you know to to make the learning environment better we need to focus on what is important for a learner and faculty wellness if the faculty aren't well they're not going to be good teachers for you and again COVID has made that more difficult uh, what are those things how is it that uh, a, a learning environment can have mistreatment in it? Like, why is it that we don't just shut that down? What do we have to do so that everybody has a voice to say, don't, you know, don't. There's no reason to do that. We're here as a team. Let's respect, trust, be open and conciliatory and collaborative with each other. Um, diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, really difficult. I would love it if our faculty represented our community and represented our student body, but it's going to take an awful long time for that to change. Can't make that happen uh, overnight. And um, the fourth as aspect of it is professionalism. We have to have much more commitment. You know, we ask you to swear an oath the first day of medical school 
uh, at the stethoscope ceremony. We didn't call it that this year because we couldn't uh, drape you with the stethoscope. But we ask you to swear an oath to professionalism. We ask you to do it again as you enter clerkship. We ask you to do it as you graduate. We should be asking our faculty to do it every year as well. It should be just something that we commit to and commit to and recommit to and try not to lose sight of. We are all going to have bad days. You're all going to have times where you are pushed over your limit and you don't act in, you know, your as your best self. And you can be forgiven for that. But if you do it on an ongoing, regular and repetitive basis, then either we have to figure out how to help you to remediate that or you don't belong. And that's in the and that's in a world where I truly believe we all do belong. But you can't belong if what you're going to do is hurtful to others. So that's the worst part. That's the hardest part because yeah. change is not easy and it takes time. And, uh, you know, people aren't all that patient. You know, we've got an eight second attention span and there's TikTok and whatever else, you know, and on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think social media and the whole attention span thing, we're just, it's getting shorter by the day, but it's really a matter of trying to make these changes in small incremental um, parts. And I think the program is moving in that direction. Um, trying to. Yeah. And I, at the end of the day, we need someone strong and fierce at the head of it and leading the charge. So I think we have the right person there. Um, yeah. So you said something so, that just caught yeah. my attention, actually, Dr. Houston. Um, so you, you alluded to TikTok. Are you on TikTok or do you watch TikToks or? No, no. So I'm going to tell you a bit, you know, I know you want to get to some of the more personal stuff. But so I have three children. Uh, my oldest daughter is um, in her late 30s and she has a PhD in engineering and she uh, teaches. She has a, a, a part time faculty appointment or a casual contract, you know, one of those of faculty appointments in engineering science and engineering and she teaches in the faculty of engineering and she's also uh, uh, been an athlete at the international level she she ran uh, for canada at uh, the world track and field she did the in dubai she did the marathon she won the bronze medal in the 1500 when the pan am games were in uh, toronto she was the canadian duathlon champion she was the canadian snowshoe half marathon champion she was a canadian half marathon champion like she's just this gifted athlete not just, she is a gifted athlete who is also fierce, determined, and, you know, uh, lives her life training and, and liking to compete. And then my second daughter uh, did a BCom at McGill and then an MBA at uh, Schulich. And she runs her own consulting firm uh, in real estate infrastructure and development. And she has two kids. And so you've got, and my husband's an orthopedic surgeon. So you, and they're, they're, the two girls are two and a half years apart. So you've got these type A personalities where, you know, we're all about, you know, the, and the girls were competitive when they were little. Oh my God, they were so competitive with each other. And then after I had the second one, I had a son 10 years later, deliberately, I wanted one more kid. And, and he is this creative. So he is um, 26 years old. His tag is Mr. Saturday. He opened his own pop-up shop on at Queen and Ossington on the weekend. And he had a video in the New York uh, Fashion Week last week. And so I only know about these things because he and his friends are around me somewhat. And so uh, I don't do any of that, but I know that it happens because they talk about it. But, you know, so I've got the spectrum of children from, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the, I've got different generations of kids. 
I think that's awesome that you get to see uh, all the whole spectrum of things in terms of the more academic side to the more um, like arts side of things. Um, and we saw you on a couple, you had a few uh, Instagram stories or stories on the UFT Instagram page during COVID. Um, yeah. so, you're, so you have a bit of, a bit of uh, knowledge and presence on there for sure. Are you thinking of starting up? Um, we could see you on a TikTok channel, maybe doing some dances. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, no. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Dilshan, did you want to take it? My away? husband would shut it down. Really? <laughs> uh, I think I think it would be a cute having the two of you doing some educational oh, yeah. pieces. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of doctors on there and stuff too. Yeah, there are yeah. a lot of doctors like. No. Mm -mm. Okay, fair, enough. Can, fair enough. What if we start with a Snapchat and then we can build no, up? Oh no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> okay. okay. All right, we'll stick with Instagram stories for now and go from there. Uh, but kind of switching gears to the, to the next question, which is one that I'm sure every med student has prepared for for their interviews. Mm -hmm. um, why medicine? And what field of medicine are you interested in? Okay, well, so I wanted to be a doctor from when I was six years old. Um, you know, there were family doctors that uh, had a clinic above my father's uh, pharmacy, and um, I just, I was, I just found it uh, compelling, both the, the science of it and the, the the personal side of it, because it's about helping other people. I mean, you you are you get to be a care provider, right? Um, and so there, I was just from the time I was. A, in public school, I knew I wanted to be a doctor and I worked towards that. I, I graduated from uh, secondary school in the town I grew up in. I grew up in a small town named Stovall. It was uh, small at that time. Came to the city, did two years of undergrad, which is what you could do at that time. Got into med school and never looked back, thinking that what I wanted to do was to go back and join that family medicine team uh, in Stovall and be a family doctor. And then the reality of what it was like to, um, and then I, I got got married to my husband when we were both in our first year residency. And the reality of what it was going to be like to uh, live with a surgeon uh, hit home. And it was really difficult for me uh, because I spent my my time, you know, my in family medicine, it's there's a lot to learn, but it's, you know, you, your time is reasonably scheduled. And as a surgery resident, you don't own one minute of your time. And so to have this real dichotomy of, my, and what I wasn't good at, and I'm still not very good at, was waiting for him. Uh, you know, just like, okay, dinner's ready, are you coming home? Well, don't know, maybe. Um, so, so I, you know, I stepped back and went, you know, I'm committed to this marriage. What am I gonna do uh, to make this work? So, uh, I thought about what the things that I like to do. And the other thing that became apparent to me was that um, I learned that I'm also a bit of uh, an adrenaline junkie because I like anesthesia best when it is crazy. So that's why I do cardiac anesthesia. You know, I like it when I'm taking care of a really, really critically ill patient. I, I like resuscitating patients. I, I like it best when the patients do well, but I like the ability to take a patient or a situation, work with a team and and really um, get from a really terrible place to a better place because you're all working together in a, in a high stress environment. And so, uh, you know, I changed. I, I went into anesthesia, I never looked back and I have loved it. Uh, I still love it. I just finished a week in CVICU and it was a, a difficult week. We had many um, ill patients through the week 
but I still like, I really enjoy taking care of the patients and I really like working with the learners. And I think they still learn something from me. That's just so uh, amazing. Like you, you, you switched for, for love. It's, it's really, I did. It's a really lovely story. It's, we hear about like in our circles about like couples matching and things like that, but you, you literally switched like afterwards. So uh, you could do it. You could switch at any time, folks. <laughs> you couldn't do it today, right? It wouldn't be possible. And I'm sure I would have been okay in family medicine, but I, I also know that our, ma- our marriage wouldn't have survived. Yeah, this must be difficult with such a the contrast um, between your schedules. And I know from experience too, like when you're, when you're, one person's really busy, one person's like not busy, it's really hard. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's, that's so cute. <laughs> uh, but just follow up questions along the line of career choices. Um, if you didn't go into medicine at all, uh, mm-hmm. what's something that that you would like you would have done i probably you know i um you know i have enjoyed the leadership work that i have done as well uh over the years uh you know and i um and i've done i took some coaching training as well and i and i enjoyed that and that's part of being a leader is is being to you know it's really about helping those that you're working with to 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 have the resources and the supports and the the ability to do their best so i probably would have gone into some form of business. I don't know what. I don't think I would have been any other kind of healthcare professional, to be honest with you. I don't don't think I would have been a lawyer or an engineer. So I probably would have headed down the business pathway and uh, and you know done something in uh, in that. I don't know exactly what because I didn't do it. But you know, you never know where life's going to take you. And I think the other thing is that I've been always been open to uh, you know if a door opened or an opportunity put itself out there, putting my hand up and going, yeah, I think I can do that. And I think with that kind of mindset, you're, you'll get a lot, quote unquote, more successful in life in the sense that just if it fits in your box of skills, just go for it. Or if you can learn something from it, you should always at least try. If yeah. it doesn't harm anyone, just go for it. Awesome. Um, so our next question, um, is what advice would you give to your younger self? And do you have any advice for us, the med students? Uh, so the advice I would give to my younger self is that um, it's good to be patient. That yes, you know, you you know, you want to do you you want to do your best. You want to get ahead. You want to make have an impact. Uh, but things take time, and you need to to use some time to step back and make sure that you reflect upon where you're going and why you're going there and what really um, what really matters to you. So don't, you know, it doesn't have to be a sprint all the time. It, it can be, a, it should be a marathon. And and the, I guess the other part of this is as, as you go through that, that it is okay to change. You know, I, I worked at uh, UHN and then I moved to St. Michael's and that was great to make that career change. I, I, um, I worked as a, as a physician leader and now as an education leader and it was great making that change. And um, sort of even the change in, in my lifestyle, I, uh, my husband and I bought a cottage, which is where I am right now. I drove up this morning um, uh, about six years ago now. And even to just think about, okay, what are you going to do 
so that you have a place where you can can um, take care of yourself. Uh, and I think that's what we don't do enough along the way is to just think about, I'm going to be doing all of this, but what am I going to do to take care of myself and those I love? Yeah, I, I definitely can empathize with the feeling of, I think it almost becomes a group think within the class. Like we're all like generally type A, we're like gut, we're like it's a competitive program to begin with to getting into and it's definitely pressure to succeed in whatever definition of success we have. Um, so there's definitely a pressure to go, 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 do research, do something else. And I think as I'm getting older, since I did a master's before this, I definitely agree with you in the sense that it's, as you go along, you realize it's not a sprint. You can't put in the 120 hours weeks that you could before, um, just because you realize that mentally you can't do that. And it doesn't always produce the best amount of work. So it's a, like you said, it's best to take a second, take a step back and really reflect on one, why you're doing it. And if what you're doing is actually achieving the goals that you set out to do, one, get where you want to be, be happy with where you're at. and. Uh, hopefully move on with that and enjoy it you know take exactly some time exactly to enjoy exactly and I, at least for me i'm definitely trying to do that now a little bit more like like you mentioned cottage definitely during covid when it was safe to do so and everything like that trying to get out of the city um, either on a camping trip with uh, friends of mine canoe trips or to a small cottage with um, a couple very close people within my social circle it's like very important to just have those mental breaks Mm -hmm. It's a high intense environment for sure. Um, moving on to the next question, and I think we've alluded to the adrenaline junkie aspect of your personality. Um, and this question dives into that a little bit more. What is, and we've talked about hella skiing, um, but what is your wildest adventure, either within the hospital or outside of the hospital? My wildest adventure? Yes. It's mm. a good question. Huh. I don't, you know, like I've just never been too wild other than going okay. in that helicopter. Like okay. wild. That's a pretty good one. That's well, pretty wild. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that was a good one. The wildest adventure is that um, year after year, and this is the first year in like a long time, we're not going to do it and it gets back to skiing again. Um, I have gone skiing uh, and we all ski as a family. And I have been willing to follow my daughters who are both fantastic skiers and just jump out onto hills, like jump off a ledge or down a hill. Oh, um, okay. They have said, mom, that's a good place to go. And so like my wildest adventure is still like pointing my skis down the hill, uh, planning my pole and committing to the turn. And sometimes it works out really well and other times not so much. That's amazing. I, at least for me, like I wouldn't say, um, I'm not an excellent skier, but I can hold my own. Um, but that's one aspect of skiing I really want to get into a bit more backcountry. Um, I think it like going down the chutes or whatever. The, mm -hmm. the, yeah, yeah, going down a bowl. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, the videos I watch on YouTube of people going down, it's absolutely mind blowing. Like tiny little things are just straight clips. It's crazy. So good on you for doing that. And this one you won't think is a wild adventure, but it, this one took um, commitment on my part. When I was the chief of anesthesia and the medical director of perioperative services at St. Michael's Hospital, the hospital told me I had to play in the hospital golf tournament. Okay. I, had never, I had never golfed in my life before, ever. Never had a golf club in my hand right. before. 
My husband was the Ontario golf champion when he was a teenager. And that was part of why I'd never golfed before, because I just was like, you go do that. It sounds it's boring. It takes too long. Who wants to do that? So I committed to learning how to golf and I let my husband teach me. And that's been a pretty wild adventure. I'm actually competent, not that's good. Awesome. But so competent. would you say that the stereotype that physicians golf a lot is accurate? No. Okay. I think some physicians golf a lot, but most physicians don't because who's got like six hours to give up to like, you know, um, the minimum of an 18, 18 hole round, unless you go out really in the morning is like four and a half hours and you got to get to the golf course. And then that you're supposed to sit there and have a drink afterwards. And then you come home, you know, you got to come home. Like it's like a whole day. And some people can do that and others don't have the patience. That's fair. That's fair. But it's a, it's a probably good for your hand-eye coordination and overall yeah, dexterity. And you know, it's a beautiful walk and you get to see yeah. parts of the world that you wouldn't otherwise see because you get to go to places. And uh, exactly. it's, it, you know, and I, I, I say this in the nicest of ways, it's a bit of an elitist sport, right? You have for to sure. pay a lot of money to pay yeah. to play around the golf. You don't. To, to go out and run, which is what I did a lot of for a long time, you just have to have a good pair of running shoes. That's fair. Um, I think we have one more question until we okay. get into the relationship one, but uh, we were wondering, what are you most proud of in your personal life and your professional life? And I don't know if you're, you have an idea of this, but what do you want to be your legacy? Okay, well, you know what I'm most proud of? I'm a mother. I'm most proud of my children and who they are and uh, my grandchildren and who they are uh, because because they are my family. That is, you know, that is at the end of the day who, who, who means the most to me. But what I want is my legacy, uh, uh, you know, is, there's my family, but what I want is my legacy at the Faculty of Medicine is that we, we, we have taken seriously the commitment to uh, the learning environment and the learner experience and that we actually make a significant difference both with regards to diversity equity inclusion and to um, supporting an environment where uh, everybody feels they belong and that they are treated uh, respectfully and professionally you're all going to learn to be great doctors what we can't we can't continue to do is to beat you up as you're learning to do that so if I we can make that better, that would be, and, and for everyone, not just the medical students, right? It's for everyone in that learning environment. I've got to plug my computer and it's dying. Okay. This is where we have like casual elevator music or something. Yeah. <laughs> the view from your, to the backyard of the cottage is gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful back there. Yeah. Um, by the way, I apologize for if you hear like children in the background. There's there's like a school next door, or something. So it's <laughs> all right. I didn't even notice it until you mentioned it. Oh, perfect. And it's fine. It'd be like kids playing and, and having. We're fun excited the about the episode. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cheering for us. Nice ambiance, as they say. Like we'll, we'll set the stage. Okay, I plugged in. There, I'm yeah. brighter. Um, I was just going to add to the end of your statement there that I think for all, from all of us who are med medical students now and coming forward, I think we really appreciate that you're putting all this effort into making sure that we have a positive learning environment and we appreciate that hopefully the 
the status quo of how students have been treated, treated in the past um, isn't the same and we can move to a more positive constructive environment not that it isn't already um, and that um, I think you're well on your way to achieving that I think Nader can say from being working in this yeah. field for a lot of time that a lot of changes have been made um, and we look forward to helping you out um, in, like moving forward you see, you know, it's not just it's not just the faculty understanding; it's the students as well yeah. understanding it. And eventually, uh, when you're a resident uh, trying to help patients to understand, they can't always help themselves. But the, the mistreatment of residents, fifty percent of that originates with patients. So it's really around how how do we get to a point where um, we help those patients and so they understand that they're not helping themselves <clears throat> if they are mistreating the learners that that really we all have to we all have to be part of the healthcare team including the patient right for sure yeah. even like oh, do you want to go ahead so even within my role um on student affairs i think we've been working doing a lot of great work with dr piantello and dr recently dr patani and smart in a way and uh it is truly like it, it's a big change that has to happen but um i remember like beginning of first year when we had a discussion on this and I remember fourth year res uh, clerk tell me you know is it really clerkship if you're not you know mistreated like it's as if it's like a, a requirement that you must be mistreated but uh, it, it is a push and then there's a slow um, push for, from like the culture shift and I think it's um, frankly like U of T is a you know they're pioneering this change they're pioneering um, truly changing the environment the one that's inclusive and, and welcoming um, and we go from like things like destructive pimping to something that I coined that's constructive pimping, right? Where where you pimp someone on questions, but in a constructive way that doesn't insult them and you give them hints of, and it really helps them feel um, as if they're ready and they're really gaining knowledge. Right. We're, we all have gonna, we're all, can all get to a point where I can't answer that question. I don't know, I don't, I don't know the answer. But you know what? I know how to go find it. I can look that up. Mm -hmm. Especially phone? nowadays, that's just on our phone. Right. Up to date. Yeah, up to date. Um, our last question, it's two parts. Yeah. So um, we were calling our year when, uh, you know, pre-COVID era, uh, we, you gave us a talk and, and you sat in front of the classroom and you said, you know, you met your soulmate and you're sitting right beside him. And then you had a, a great story of how, you know, you always used to take his notes, but always used to do better with him, better mm -hmm. than him. Yeah. Um, on so, MCQs because he wasn't good at multiple choice questions. Yeah. <laughs> on the MCQ parts. Yeah. Um, so how does it feel to be a part of the U of T family for so long? And how has this changed throughout your time? Like how has U of T changed throughout your time? A lot. It's changed a lot. So I'm very happy to be part of the University of Toronto. You know, I think uh, particularly in the last uh, decade, uh, the University of Toronto and the Faculty of Medicine particularly has, has really committed under the leadership of, of Dr. Young uh, to not just talking the talk, but walking the walk and, and truly uh, making a difference in the world. Uh, and how can we make a difference? Well, we can make a difference by graduating U.S. physicians and then graduating uh, residents and fellows who do want to take care of every community uh, out there and uh, aren't just graduating um, because they, they view it as something that is, is interesting and uh, will give them a quality life, but rather they are truly committed to being socially accountable and um, 
uh, and uh, you know, really healthcare and political advocates, not just healthcare, but political advocates as well. So I think we've changed a lot. You know, when I went to medical school, I sat in that lecture hall for three years in a row. Uh, I actually didn't because I only went to first term. And then after that, as I told you, I stopped going, didn't work for me. Uh, and we've made it much more experiential and we have made it uh, uh, a real quality improvement process where we don't go, okay, here's our curriculum. This worked for me, it's gonna work for you. Uh, even from the time we started foundations, what we're doing is just saying, okay, what parts of it work and what parts of it don't work and how can we make it better? And we're doing that with clerkship as well. Although COVID again, like put a pause and like, okay, put us behind in, in doing that. So I love being part of U of T. It's a great place. It's a fantastic city. It's a beautiful campus. Um, it's a horrible building, uh, but it is a, uh, a really committed um, uh, set, set of leaders and faculty uh, to making a difference, not to just you as learners, but to, to the world through through education and research. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I really like the horrible building part. Um, it's not that bad for mine. I think generally students have found it pretty good. Um, it's Sean, a terrible lecture hall. <laughs> we have buttons that we can press or used to be able to press. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think there's better technology today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like that could be it. <laughs> and and the follow up to that on the relationship advice specifically is, um, do you have any relationship advice for for us as physicians on the journey of you know medicine? Yeah. So find you know find a friend. Uh, you know you 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 fall in love with somebody and um, that's and it's a wonderful experience and you commit to each other. But you also have to be friends, you know, and being a friend means that you accept that they're not always perfect, uh, that you're going to make mistakes, that you're not always going to do the same things, you're going to have diverse interests, and that um, when, you know, when life gives you some troubling times, and we all go through troubling times, that you figure out what you can do to help and support each other and uh, always go back to a, a place where you love and care about that person and not to a place where you're judging them. That's some very wholesome advice. Um, Dr. Houston, thank you very much. We do tend to wrap up with a trend, okay. kind of like their favorite story, uh, student story from our end. So I think something on the, you know, on the topic of relationship is that we've realized in the last week, one of our good friends uh, had gotten engaged and we realized in the summer there was, I think, five medical students that had gotten engaged and or married. And one couple were in 2D2 that got married together. So it's like a, they were a 2D2 couple. So um, that's a shout out to them. They know who they are. We, we didn't want to bring their names uh, up, but, but it's a shout out. And, and it's just great to hear such uh, great success and love stories. Um, but we wanted to thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for meeting with us. This was great. It was, it was a wonderful opportunity. I'm sure everyone who hears is also going to have a great time listening to this. Okay, well, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share uh, a little bit about who I am and what I am, uh, and to just you know for you to understand that I actually am just a uh, just a person like all of you. Uh, so I actually have one like surprise question. That oh, a surprise <laughs> question. <laughs> uh, can you give us any hints or sneak previews about what this transitional gift is going to be? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No, no. Nope. Nope. No. I okay. cannot. Okay. You, you will be, it's, it's wonderful. I can tell you it's wonderful. 
Okay. Great Stay to hear. tuned for that, everybody. Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Have Bye. a good day. <laughs> Alrighty. Take Thank care. Thank you so much. You too. Have a great day. Have you a great too. week. Enjoy.